And let's turn together to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, continuing to look through this, uh, this chapter again, we're, we're in the last week uh, of the life of Christ. And uh, we, we've seen the triumphal entry. The, he's, he comes into the city of Jerusalem uh, with the, the children and the people rejoicing and, uh, and, and declaring him the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the well, uh, Hosanna the highest, the son of David, the king who is to reign. Uh, and now this morning we, we return back to uh, the temple. So, so last week. Uh, we, we saw him come into the temple and he, he cleansed out the temple. Uh, and now he returns to, to work with, to, to deal with the consequences uh, of that event. Uh, so Matthew 21, I'll, I'll read from verse 23 uh, through th- verse 32 this morning. And this is God's word. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why, why then did you not believe him? But if we say for man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, "I I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went, and he went to the other son, And said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. In a few weeks' time, we'll see a very clear sign of, the, of, of authority at the, the coronation uh, of King Charles III. He's, he's already the king, isn't he? But the, the full splendor of that authority is going to be put on full display at Westminster Abbey when he's officially crowned king. The crown is, uh, of course, the, the symbol of that, that, that right to rule. And we all know that uh, the uh, authority of the king in this country is, is more ceremonial, isn't it? But if you ask a government official, what right do you as a, as a governing official have to, to make a law or to, to make a decision what are they going to answer? They're going to answer that they have the, the authority of, of the king or the crown behind them and supporting them. Now, Jesus, of course, didn't wear a crown during his earthly ministry, not until he wore uh, the crown of thorns that he'll wear in a, a few days' time in the, uh, in the time frame of this passage. Following his, his entrance into, but, but, but the signs of his authority were quite clear, weren't they? 
We've heard them throughout uh, his life and ministry. And we, we heard it recently in his, his entrance into Jerusalem where uh, the, the people celebrated him. Uh, and then he, he goes into the temple and he, he drives out the, the money changers as, as we saw last Sunday. Clearly he, he seems to have some kind of authority, doesn't he? But today the, the religious leaders are, are none too happy with what Jesus is doing. And they're even less happy with how popular he's become. So they come to him and they, they challenge his right to be doing these things. They ask him, this, this what, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus' response to this challenge is, is actually going to take up the next several weeks uh, of our study of John. Because it not only encompasses this, this initial response that we hear, but it also encompasses the, the three parables that we'll look at, as well as four trick questions that, that follow those parables. But the overarching theme uh, of these, these parables and these questions is the interplay between authority and faith. And I want to encourage us over these coming weeks to, to not only, uh, not, not only to, to look at these interactions to uh, inform our understanding of the authority of Christ, but also to, to challenge how we respond to him by faith. There's three things that we'll, we'll see this morning. First of all, we'll, we'll hear the question that everyone wants answered. Secondly, we'll, we'll see a picture of, of faith in, in God's word. And then third, we'll, we'll hear how Christ ministers to our anxieties. So first, let's hear the, the question everyone wants answered. The religious leaders come to Jesus when he's in the temple uh, teaching, and they ask the question that, that so many of us want answered, don't we? By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Now, first of all, we should, we should ask ourselves, who needs to ask this question? What kind of person needs to ask such a question? If, if Jesus is going around doing, doing good, then, then why question his right to do it? Why question his authority? The only people who need to ask a question like this one uh, are not pure skeptics. They're people with something to lose. You know, hundreds, even thousands even of, of, of people, common people, ordinary people were able to make a judgment about Jesus based on the things that, that they saw him do and that they, they heard him say. And, and, and that's why they, they lined the streets as Jesus entered uh, the city of Jerusalem. And they shouted songs of praise and, and worship, Hosanna in the highest. But the religious leaders, on the other hand, they're, they're not honest skeptics. In fact, there, there are very few honest skeptics in our world. We talk about skeptics and wanting to win them over as, as we should, and we should want to win them over. But actually what, what we see in the religious leaders is that skeptics nearly always have an agenda. They nearly always have something that, that they want or, or, or that they don't want to lose. There were, these were, were powerful men, the, the teachers of the law and the, the elders and they feared losing their, their grip, the, what power they had. And in many ways, they weren't looking for the Messiah, were they? Because the Messiah, the implications of the Messiah coming would, would actually cause them to lose their place and their power and their authority among the people of Israel. If you identify as a, as a skeptic this morning, I'd like to, to gently encourage you to, to ask yourself, What's, what's the agenda underlying that? 
What are what's the things that you you fear losing by believing in Jesus? Because there's nearly always something for us. Now, the second thing we should notice is that this this isn't an honest question that they're asking him. It's in fact a, a trick question. They, they've got a double motive here. They've, they've got two options, two traps that Jesus could fall into here. They're hoping that Jesus will either make a clear claim to, to being the Messiah so that they can then go and, uh, and, and take that to the Roman authorities and, and suggest to them that, that, that he's trying to usurp them and so they can politically incriminate him before uh, the, the Romans who were, were holding the nation captive. That's ultimately what happens, isn't it, in, in a few days' time. Or they're hoping that he'll simply claim to be uh, a good person, a wise teacher, someone who just wants to, to make the world a, a bit of a, a better place, do some good for society. Because if he does that, then the, the crowds are just going to leave, aren't they? they, they came, they're, they're coming to him because they think he is the Messiah, the son of David. They come to him singing Hosanna in the highest because that's, that's a song of praise for, for, for the Christ, the son of the living God. These men are hoping that he's going to just say, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just a wise teacher. I'm just a good person. Nothing more. Because then the crowds would leave. And that second motivation here is, is ironic in our day, isn't it? You know, that's exactly how uh, many people want to present Jesus. Even some churches want to present him as simply a wise teacher who inspires us to do good in this world. And it's no coincidence then that, that actually many of those, those churches are empty or many of the, the people who would claim that he's simply a, a wise teacher and a good person uh, don't actually follow him. But we've seen up to now how incredible Christ is, haven't we? We've seen his miracles. We've heard his teaching. We've heard the, the verdict given by his followers that he's, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. And now we hear this affirmed in, in the wisdom of Christ's response to these, these men who have gathered to, to try and trick him. Jesus promises them that he'll tell them exactly where his authority comes from if they can answer a simple question. If they'll answer this question, then he'll, he'll happily give them an answer to theirs. Now listen to what he asked them, verse 25. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or from man? Now this is also a trick question, but for a, a very different reason to those reasons of the chief priests and the elders. Most of you probably uh, recall John the Baptist. John was, was sent uh, ahead of Christ. He was a, a prophet from God sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. Now, prior to John coming, there had been uh, 400 years of silence. 400 years where, where nothing was, was heard from God. There was, there was no prophet in Israel. So when John comes onto the scene, uh, Matthew tells us that, that he was rejected by, by the, the higher-ups in the society, the officials and the spiritual leaders. And so he was cast out and, and he, he wandered in the, the wilderness proclaiming the, the coming of the Messiah, calling people and warning pe calling people to repentance and warning them that the Messiah was coming. And people who were, who were hungry to be ministered to by, by God's servant, they start pouring out of the, the cities and the towns and they start 
going out into the wilderness seeking this, this, this man who had been sent by God. And they, they want to hear his message. They want to be baptized by him. And because he was so popular, the, the, these same uh, religious officials, these, these uh, uh, teachers of the law and these elders, uh, were just hoping the moment would pass. They were they, they took no they took no stance on on who John is. They took no stance on the most dramatic spiritual event to happen in Israel in four hundred years. They were hoping it would all just blow over, that everyone would would eventually return to 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 how how everything was before, and that the people would be looking to them once again for their their leadership over their spiritual welfare. But now we have the nightmare scenario for these men, don't we? Not only has, has John come, but one greater than John is on the scene, Jesus. And he's grown his, his, his following, and so they, they feel that they, they can't help but, but confront him, especially after he's gone in and he's, he's cleansed the temple, he's gone into their turf, their territory. And, and he's, he's driven out the money changers. And so they come to him and, and they try to trick him, don't they? But Jesus' question is actually quite clever. And it's very probing. And it's actually going to expose the hearts of these men. He's asking these leaders to finally take a stand on who they believe John to be. Was his baptism, was his baptism, his, his, his authority, John's authority, was it from, from heaven? And when Jesus says from heaven, what he means is, uh, was this from God? Was it, was it holy? Or was it from man? And when Jesus says man, he means, uh, was, it, was it common? Was it, was it unholy? You notice how, how this reveals the hearts of the men responsible for, for the spiritual care of God's people in Israel. They, they discuss this question among themselves, don't they? And you hear their deliberations. If, if they say John's authority was from heaven, then they would, they would stand condemned before God. Jesus would ask them, well, then why didn't, you, why didn't you believe him? If they said it was from man, then they'd, they'd lose power and credibility before the people who held John to be a prophet. So who are they going to fear? Who are they more afraid of? We're told in verse 25 that, that they fear man. We are afraid of the crowd. So they once again take no position. They refuse to be drawn in. So they answered Jesus that they didn't know. And Jesus concludes this initial exchange with these words, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But you know what? At this point, Jesus really doesn't need to tell them his authority, does he? He's made that very clear. The whole point of this episode and the reason why Matthew recounts it is because the authority of Jesus is, is on full display all the way throughout in the way that he handles this hostile question and these religious leaders. In many ways, he, he answers his own question about John the Baptist, doesn't he? The one that he asked the, the leaders, he, he believes that, he's, he, that, that John's, John's authority was from God. And the implication of that is, is Christ's own authority was from God. He indirectly rebukes these religious leaders by the, the implication 
that a, a proper response to a, a heaven sent gift is to believe is, is to believe and to embrace it. That's what we, we hear in the words of Matthew, isn't it? As, as they, they deliberate, they, they themselves say that if if John's authority was from God, then we should he'll ask us why we didn't believe. The proper response to a heaven sent gift is to believe and to embrace. And that's that's true in every age, isn't it? The proper response to Christ, to a heaven-sent gift, is to believe and to embrace it. If Jesus is who he claims to be, who so many in his day knew him to be, who, who the, the gospel accounts bear witness to, then the only proper response to, for us is to believe and embrace and ultimately to be obedient to Jesus as Christ himself will unpack in a moment with this parable we're going to look at. But before we get to that parable, I think it's, it's important that, that we recognize once again that if this is true of, of believing and embracing, if that still holds true, then, then like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, this, uh, it, it isn't his, his authority that's on trial, but rather it's our own hearts, isn't it? And the hearts of the powerful in our world. You know, today, in, in our day and age, most can't be bothered to challenge Jesus' authority anymore, can they? Most people think the, the moment has passed. They just simply say something uh, patronizing, like that's, that's nice if, for you if you believe that. They don't feel threatened by the authority of Christ. They think they've weathered the storm. Little's changed in the hearts of man in 2,000 years. But the challenge for us this morning is, is to determine what, what we believe concerning the authority of Jesus. For us in our day, it doesn't uh, require a trick question. In fact, it's, it's a rather straightforward question, isn't it? By what authority did he do and say the things that he did and he said? If you say he's a gift from heaven, then you're called to believe and to obey and Jesus next gives us three pictures of, of what that looks like. He gives us three pictures of, of what it means to, to have real, real genuine faith. And he, he lays them out in, uh, as three illustrations of faith in the watershed moments of world history. The first was the coming of John the Baptist. The second uh, will be the coming of Christ himself. And the third is the, the coming of Christ again at the last day. And we'll... We'll see the second and third teachings next week. But the purpose of these parables is actually, remember who he's speaking to, these religious leaders. The, the purpose of these parables is, is to convict them of who Jesus is. It's to convict them of their sin. And it's to, to drive them to, to faith and repentance. See, on the surface, this, this interaction seems, seems quite hostile, doesn't it? It can be quite an intense encounter. Jesus doesn't pull his punches. Uh, he, he says some rather dramatic things, and he offers these, these, these quite serious pictures to illustrate the hearts of the men that he's speaking to. In a modern culture that, that values affirmation, that's, that's frowned upon, isn't it? It seems very harsh. It seems very rude. Until you stop and realize that, that what Jesus is doing is he's He's calling these, these hard-hearted men to true faith and repentance. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's actually lovingly and graciously 
calling these men to faith in him, that he's not simply writing them off as lost causes. We should, we should take note of that, actually. Because these are the, the same men who, in a few days' time, will, will put Jesus on trial. And they'll pressure and manipulate the Romans into, into putting him to death. And Jesus knows this, doesn't he? He's the Son of God. He knows this. And yet he, he speaks to the deepest needs of the, the hearts of these, these hard-hearted men. And he does it because that's, that's the kind of Savior he is. And so in this episode, we, we once again see the authority and the character of who Christ is. And we need to hold on to that as we, as we look at these, these parables, uh, the first one coming up now. So we, we come to our, our second point this morning. We, we come to this picture of faith in God's Word. Jesus, Jesus tells this very simple story, doesn't he? It's a, it's a man with, with two sons. He goes to each one and he orders them to, to go and to serve him, to, to work uh, in the vineyard. And the first son seems really stubborn and hard-hearted, doesn't he? He's rude to his father. He, his, his father comes to him and he says, I won't go out and work. But then later on he decides he will go and work. And so without, without probably saying anything to his dad, he just, he just goes out and he does the right thing. He, he starts working in the vineyard. The second son appears to be obedient to the father. He happily agrees to go to the vineyard and to serve him, but, but then he fails to do so. And Jesus asks the question, but, but we already know the answer, don't we? Which one did the will of the father? Which one is, is the, quote, good son? Was it the one who, who looked the part, who said all the right things? Or was it the one who appeared disobedient, but in the end was obedient to his father. Jesus goes on to, to lay out uh, very, impl- very clearly the, the implications of this parable, doesn't he? The outsiders, the untouchables, the tax collectors and prostitutes, the people absolutely despised by the great and the good of their society would enter the kingdom of heaven before these, these religious leaders. These men who had been trained and equipped in the word of God since, since they were children are being told by Jesus that, that, that the tax collectors, the sinners, the, the wretches of their, their society were going to enter the kingdom of heaven before them, the kingdom of God. What's important for us to understand is when Jesus says that, that, that they'll enter before, what he's implying is that, that the religious leaders won't enter at all without a, a dramatic change of their hearts. And this is one of those teachings that, that disturbs us, isn't it? Jesus connects uh, the first son to the people that we would be uncomfortable with thinking are in the kingdom of God with us, much less them being in and we being out. And the second son is, is connected to the, the people that pastors love to have in their churches, if we're honest. And in many cases, it's the pastors themselves, isn't it? They're the, the people who, who know all the right answers. They're the people who, who uh, are, are eager to, to get stuck in to the work of the church. They're the people who demand doctrinal purity. And this parable should, should actually shake us 
and cause us to examine our hearts and challenge how we understand faith. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's challenging these men, these religious leaders' understanding of what it means to believe or to have faith. And so first Jesus says that, that faith recognizes what's from God. And he listens to, to his word. That's what he means by tying this parable back to John the Baptist. He tells them that the, the prophet of God came into the world and all the people that, that looked okay, all the people that thought they were doing the work of God, re- looked away and, and, and rejected him. They refused to listen to him. But the people who were, were largely despised and rejected, they embraced John and his message. And Jesus says that's, that's the calling of of, a tr- of someone of true faith. It's, it's to hear the message of God and to follow and trust. That's the, second, that's the second thing Jesus tells them is that that faith involves both knowing the truth and being obedient to God's calling. The spiritual leaders of Jesus' day knew all the doctrine. They knew the law of Moses. But when you, when you really dig into what they were doing and teaching and believing, they were trying to find ways around those laws while putting on a show of righteousness and holding God's people to, to an accountability, to a standard that, that, that they couldn't keep and doing, it, and doing it harshly. They were failing in their, their greater calling to, to minister to God's people, to, to care for them, especially to the broken sinners in their midst. And the vineyard that Jesus speaks of is, is the place where where, where these men were called to be. The place where they were to, to care for and, and to tend and to labor for God so that the people of God, Israel, might bear fruit. You see, Jesus actually answers here one of the, the common misunderstandings about faith and grace. Many will say that, that faith is, is just believing and, and grace means we, we simply need to uh, uh, to put our trust in Jesus to have our sins forgiven. And that's, that's absolutely true. Faith is simply believing and grace is that, that undeserved merit that, that, that in Christ our sins are forgiven. But what Jesus indicates here is that his grace and our faith will have a transformative impact on our lives. See, there's nothing you need to do prior to grace or faith to be made right with God. There's nothing you can do. You can do all the works, all the good things. You can have all the knowledge and and, uh, all the wisdom. But if you don't have have but 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 if you don't have grace, if you don't have true faith that transforms your life, then we don't have Christ. If you're the kind of person who knows the Bible really well and you've lived a, a moral life, Jesus says that's, that's actually not enough. You need to be obedient to him and serve him. And if you're the kind of person who has lived a, a hard life marked by those things that, that you'd say, quote, church people shouldn't do, Jesus says there's, there's good news for you. And by the way, every person in church has done things that church people shouldn't do. You're very welcome here. But whichever of these groups you fall under, there's, there's good news for us all here. Christ says you can be saved. He says, he says true 
uh, belief is shown in obedience to God's word. For the first son, that true faith was shown in his eventual obedience. The, the counterpoint to that is that that obedience cannot exist without, without true faith. The second son heard the word. He, he assented to the word in his mind. But he didn't heed the word, did he? That's who Jesus says the religious leaders are. But they could be saved if they would just if they would change their hearts, if they would change their minds, and they would truly believe and would become obedient to Him. The thing that's so wonderful about about the gospel is that there's a, a promise of grace for each one of us here this morning if we hear and obey. However, these two sons show uh, how hard that is. They show how hard it is for for us as as people to to judge who's who's in and who's out. Which is why this parable is so disturbing to us, isn't it? Most of us are are wondering, how do I know if if I've got it right? How do I know if, if I'm doing enough? You're not doing enough. And that leads us to our, our last point this morning. How Christ ministers to our anxieties. How do I know if I'm doing enough? How do I know if my faith is, is strong enough? That's what this parable causes us to ask, isn't it? And that's, it's actually the wrong question. But the answer to that is, is actually found in, in the thing that I think is lurking just beneath the surface of this, this parable. And it's obscured, I think, by the, the people that Jesus is speaking to. See, the point Jesus is, is making to these religious leaders is that, that the, their theological accuracy isn't sufficient to save them. And that's actually an important point for, for us to, to, to grasp uh, because we're part of a church tradition that prides itself on theological accuracy. Some of you who are new to, to Grace Church, uh, Hammersmith, have probably been surprised by some of the discussions we get into over, over coffee or, or on, in, in uh, Wednesday evening dinner. We talk about some things that, that you might not have been aware of or was, was even an issue. We ask some, some questions that, that you've never thought of. And to be fully transparent as your minister, some of you ask questions that, that I've never thought of. And it's a good thing to, to want to understand the mind of God, isn't it? Uh, that's, what, that's what these religious leaders were doing. They, they, they thought they, 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 were, they were in his word. They wanted to understand the mind of God. They wanted to plumb the depths of his truth. And that's, that's part of our tradition, the Reformed tradition. But the danger that, that Jesus is warning us against is that we can get so focused on being right about every theological point or doctrine that we actually forget to love Jesus. We can get so wrapped up in knowing the mind of God and his truth that we, we miss the ultimate and great truth. And that's the heart of God for sinners like you and I. See, the love of Christ for us and our, our love for Christ is what's, what's slightly obscured in this passage because the, the, the men that Jesus is speaking to, these religious leaders of his day, had no love for him. When he talks about the response to John the Baptist, the, the people who responded were not people who simply felt their need, but they were people who saw in John the Baptist and, and heard in his message the love of God working itself out in his ministry. The people who came to Jesus 
in his day. And the people who come to Jesus today not only feel their need of him, but they, they see his love for them. And they return that love in obedience. See, the confidence and assurance of, of our salvation will, will never be fully found in, in the purity of what we believe or in the quality of our, of our obedience to his word. Rather, it's found in, in our growing confidence in the Savior's love for us. And how do we, how do we know that love? Well, we know it because we, we, we hear it in his word, don't we? We heard it this morning, and in, in even in this interaction with these, these men who were openly hostile to him. We know Christ's love for us because we, we see it, don't we? At the, at the table before us this morning. We're, we're people who don't, don't believe in, in images of Christ because Christ has given us the, the ultimate image of him at this his table. The heart of Christ is, is laid before us this morning. He calls us to examine ourselves, to, to discover what, what we truly believe concerning him. Are you resting in him alone for your salvation? He calls us at the table to, to see his work for us. His, the salvation that he wrought at the cross, his, his body broken and his blood shed for you and I and our sins. And he calls us to see what will be. As this table is, is a, a mere sample of foretaste of the feast that's going to be laid before us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. By what authority did Jesus do and say the things that, that he did? It was by the, the power and authority of, of the love of the one and only redeeming God. We hear that in his word. We see that at the table. And he calls us this morning to to believe that to, to, to believe that truth in our hearts, to turn our lives over to him, to be obedient to him, to rest in him, and to love him. Let us pray.